welcome and thank you for joining me here at Psychedelic Grad's podcast, Curious to Serious. Our next guest has certainly forged his own path into the psychedelic field and within it. Joshua White is the founder and executive director of Fireside Projects, the first free peer support psychedelic hotline. I've had the pleasure of getting to know Joshua so much more since we recorded this podcast. If you end up listening and wanting to support Fireside Projects, you can check out at Glow Fireside on Twitter for more information. For now, I encourage you to relax, sit back, and enjoy. Without further ado, here is Joshua White. Joshua, thank you for joining me. Thank you for inviting me, Emma. So Joshua, you are the founder of Fireside Projects, but your background is in law. Can you tell me a bit about how you found yourself in the psychedelic field? Sure. It's been a it's been a transition that has taken more than a decade. So, you know, I've been a practicing lawyer since 2004. Psychedelic medicine kind of became a foundational part of my life, I think more than a decade ago. And I started having these really powerful and healing psychedelic experiences. And I realized that I I wanted to kind of devote my life to the psychedelic movement. I just wasn't sure what form that was going to take. I've always loved providing emotional support to people. That's really part of who I am. And so initially, I thought that what I would like to do is transition from being a lawyer to a psychologist with the hope that by the time I got my license, I could then be a, a psychedelic therapist. So as part, of the, as part of that process of deciding whether to leave the law and become a psychologist, I started having a couple of really powerful volunteer experiences. One was for the Zendo project at festivals like Burning Man and Lightning in a Bottle. And I absolutely loved those experiences. I thought they were so powerful and it was just truly a gift to be supporting people during their most vulnerable and potentially healing moments. And then the other volunteer experience I had was on a support line in San Francisco. And it was it's part of a, a fantastic nonprofit called Safe and Sound, which has a mission of providing or ending child abuse. And so I ended up starting to volunteer on that support line in 2013 and kind of continued doing that. And I I realized that I absolutely loved that experience. And also support lines are just such powerful and free tools that are available to people. And so, and so at the start of the pandemic, I was, you know, practicing law at my law firm around the time that the George Floyd protests were happening, around the time that California was experiencing horrible wild, wildfires. And I, I just, it seemed like the world was going to hell. And the question that I asked myself was like, what gives me hope for the world? Because I really need to engage with whatever gives me hope for the world in a meaningful way. And of course, I thought to myself, well, it's the psychedelic movement. And and then so I started to brainstorm, like, what could I do that would have the biggest impact for the most people in the psychedelic movement that also kind of jives with what my skill set is? And I kind of realized, well, hey, I, I think I could start a support line. And I think I think a support line could be amazing for for the psychedelic movement, not just to help people who are having intense psychedelic experiences, although that is part of it, but also uh, to help with integration. 
And so with the support line where I had volunteered for many years, we would offer everyone a follow-up call. And I thought to myself, well, geez, this would be, this could revolutionize how integration occurs. Like what if someone was calling you back every single week after your psychedelic experiences to ask you about how your integration process is going? Like, for example, if someone said, oh, you know, you were talking a lot during your trip about your, you know, your sexuality, your gender, your changes you want to make professionally and, and sort of ask you, well, how, how's that been going over the last week? How's that been going over the last month? I think that could be amazing. And it's also, it's also free. And so I think that that is really can be powerful to help make sure that the psychedelic movement and the, and some of these tools are available to everyone, not just people who can, who have insurance or who can afford to pay out of pocket for sometimes very expensive treatments or post-trip integration support. Yeah. Wow, definitely. I think you touched on some very interesting topics. But before I dig in, I'd love to hear about what makes Fireside Project different from the other organizations that we have right now, like the ones that you were volunteering with, and also Trips at Me or the Spiritual Emergency Services or anything that Sendo Projects might be offering. What gap do you want it to fill? That's a that's a fantastic uh, question, and so I think that we're we're a bit different than than all of those organizations. And I also want to say that the organizations that you just mentioned are amazing, and we really see ourselves at Fireside Project as kind of part of a broader psychedelic ecosystem where we are supporting other organizations, and hopefully they're supporting us. We don't see ourselves as in competition with anyone at all, and I think that people should have a lot of different tools available to them. So let's take Zendo as an example. One of my favorite organizations to ever exist. They provide in-person support at electronic music events. And as COVID-19 has happened, they've started to provide virtual support by Zoom. And so I think that there's a perfect kind of symbiotic relationship between us and Zendo. For one thing, Zendo is only at certain festivals. So we're going to be eventually 24-7 for anyone anywhere in the United States and hopefully eventually the world. But even at festivals, our hope is to be able to partner with the Zendo and offer people multiple forms of support. So receiving in-person support at the Zendo is amazing. It could also be amazing when you're at a festival to have someone to text and just to say, hey, is anyone there? Yes, we're here for you if you need us. Or, hey, where, where is the Zendo and how can I find it? That could be something that could be potentially resolved by text. So we see ourselves partnering with the Zendo and providing people multiple options for, for receiving support. Let's see, what other organizations? Tripsit.me, again, another, another fantastic organization. To my knowledge, they don't provide support by phone. I think it's only live chat and maybe text. So I think that there's some overlap there. I think we're going to provide follow-ups to everyone. I don't think that's, that's something that Tripsit does. I don't know actually what the Tripsit.me training is like. Ours is going to be a 36-hour training, and we're, we're going to require a one-year time commitment where someone works four hours per week. So I do think that there is some overlap between us and Tripsit, and I think that's amazing. I think that like we would love it if some if people you know continue to use Tripsit and continue to use us, especially as access 
access to psychedelics expands across the country, there's going to be a need for multiple tools. Right now, I've seen more websites and organizations producing courses for credits and some not for credits, some free, some not, all about the psychedelic experience or the preliminary checklists to go through or even the integration. How do you plan on integrating those three concepts in the 36-hour training? Where do you think the stress or the emphasis will be? I think, yeah, I mean, you're right that there are a lot of organizations producing amazing trainings and we're developing our own training, but I think we're familiar with some of the other trainings that are out there and we want to try to tailor what we're teaching our volunteers to, you know, specifically working on a support line. And so our thought is that our 36 hour training will, on the one hand, 36 hours sounds like a lot, but when you actually start to get into what the potential number of components is, it's kind of, it's kind of staggering, right? So I think there will be an emphasis on teaching active listening. I think the foundation of working on a support line is, is active listening. So there'll be a component on that. There'll be, you know, a component on safety assessments. There'll be a component on um, how to provide support by text message versus by phone. There'll be a, a component on integration and there'll be a component just on what our protocols and procedures are. So when you actually start to go into the number of components, there's actually a lot to, uh, to cover. Yes, for sure. There are many components of offering peer support let alone psychedelic peer support. And I think that as I was going through my application for Fireside, something that kept coming to mind was, well, I've taken courses on fluence or psychedelic courses or psychedelic support or Zendo to learn more about the history of psychedelics or what it means to call an experience difficult or mystical or something maybe about integration. But how does that information really play into the work of a peer support volunteer? A component you want to stress in your training is active listening, and that plays such a huge role in intersubjectivity and the emotional support or connection you make with a caller, especially if this person doesn't know you. I mean, you don't know them. They're getting to know you for the first time when they already need your help. And I feel like that element of the training, learning how to be an active listener and learning how to make someone feel safe is something that Fireside will offer that isn't really covered in these free courses online. The experience for a volunteer is really learning something about how to support someone over text or on a phone call, and that'll really be a challenge. Yeah, that's a wonderful point. And I think it's really exciting that that there is such a power to providing support to people by phone. And and I think it's different than providing support to someone in person because all you have uh, is your voice. And so there are ways of sort of using, you know, using your voice and the tone of your voice and, and when you speak and when you make certain sounds to really communicate to someone that you are like that you're there with them and, and you're meeting them exactly. Exactly where where they are. I think that you know there will be probably a component to our training around what is the psychedelic experience exactly. But I think that's really kind of a smaller part of it, and and the focus the focus really will be on like what is it like for a person on the other end of the line who's having you know who's having a crisis, and how can you work on meeting them where they are and helping them transition to a more calm, relaxed space. And so there are like breathing exercises that we're going to teach, like some suggestions for meditation, et cetera. And, and so that will really be our emphasis. And 
Speaking of the user experience on the other side of the phone call, I've been to two of the meetings that we've had so far for fireside projects for the people on the other side, that would be the peer supporters. An interesting point came up uh, talking about the triage. So the person that connects the Mm -hmm. caller to the available peer support volunteer. And speaking of consideration, the the caller's emotions or sense of self or the state that they must be in to be making a call like that, I was wondering if you are willing to go through the motions of what it's actually like, kind of demonstrate for the listeners what it's like to be connected through a triage to then be connected to your actual support volunteer and what that experience might be like. Yeah, we could certainly try. You know, I'll just to, to sort of elaborate for you know for the listeners on what on, on sort of more about what that process will look like. The sort of primary purpose of the triage volunteers to figure out is this a person who's in crisis or not in crisis? Are they simply seeking a one-off piece of information about a particular service? You know, our hope is that when someone is in crisis, they won't have to wait on hold. I think the interaction between the triage volunteer and the caller will really be shorter. And so once the triage volunteer kind of learns that, okay, this is a person in crisis, then we're going to have kind of an internal messaging system where the triage volunteer can then say to the other available volunteers, can someone please handle this this crisis call? If there was a free volunteer, then great, that person would take the call. If there is, if, if those other volunteers are maybe on integration calls, then I think our protocol would be to request that those volunteers stop their, one of those volunteers kind of stop their integration call for the time being and handle the person in crisis. And The reason I wanted to bring up the example of us going through the motions was because something that was definitely a concern of mine as I was thinking through this process was if I have a successful phone call, if the person maybe an hour later starts to go through this type of troubling looping or cyclical state again, would they be reconnected to the same caller? Is that something that you think Fireside Project is trying to do? That's a great that's a great question. I think there are a lot of question marks around this for us. You know, there has not been a psychedelic peer support line ever. And so I think part of what we're going to be focusing on during our pilot program is to try to get a sense of what types of calls are we getting and how can we most effectively like support people given the resources that we have. The question that you posed is an excellent one. I think that what we would try to do is is yes, to connect up, you know, the the caller with the same volunteer. That would be the hope. It might not be possible for any number of reasons. The volunteer's shift could have ended and they may not be there. That volunteer may be on another crisis call. And so the only volunteer who's available is another person. So that's, I think, I think we would try to do, we would try to do the best we could in that situation. Absolutely. I I agree with you that if it is possible to connect the same caller with the same volunteer, you know, we would definitely want to do that because that relationship, that relationship that you build is so important. Yeah. And I think it comes to show too, in your application process, it is like nothing I've really ever seen before. It's uh, quite dense and um, I'm not going to say meta because it's not it's it's a bit more on the spiritual side and it's asking kind of these bigger questions but it's also very open-ended because they're kind of looking 
for you to define some of the things that they're asking you for. So specifically, some of the questions like, what do you do to recharge? What does it does being present mean to you? Or describe ways you cultivate a grounded state of self-awareness. It sounds like you're really giving your volunteers the space to explain and look within themselves. Do you think that you're looking for a specific type of applicant? Do you think that was something behind the application process itself? That's a, a fantastic question. And I think we, I mean, first I'll just say kind of preliminarily that like we're aware it's a pretty long and involved application. And, and part of that is because we take the responsibility of providing support to people during these very, very vulnerable states. Like we take it very seriously. You know, we're asking people to make a one-year commitment. And during that one year, they'll work, you know, hopefully the same shift four hours per week. So that's a significant, it's a significant amount of time. We also think it'll be one of the best volunteer experiences to ever exist and the psychedelic movement. And so we really want to try to learn as much as we can about uh, the applicants and try to imagine, well, what would it be like for this applicant to be on the line with someone? And so just in terms of what the application process looks like, you know, there's this, there's this, you know, application that's very long and involved. We have, I think there are going to be five of us within Fireside Project reading all of the applications and all of the words on all of the applications. So we, we did not just want people to write a lot of words without an intention of reading them ourselves. So I think, so, so that is kind of the preface. I think I would, I would say after that is like, you know, it's, I think we want people who have, you know, cultivated that sense of groundedness and, and that sense of calmness and who have done their own like deep inner work. And, and so, you know, that, that experience can come in any number of ways, right? A person could, could be a practicing therapist and that person can volunteer on the line, even though what we'll be providing is not psychotherapy, it's peer-to-peer -peer support. But there are a lot of other ways that people, I think, can cultivate a sense of groundedness such that when they are in a space with someone who is deeply vulnerable and who is tripping really hard, that that, that, that volunteer can maintain that sense of groundedness and, and, and presence and create that container for, for the caller to to sort of support them through their their process. One of my favorite terms comes from about this comes from Ram Das and you know one of the things that Ram Das spent a lot of time doing was you know providing support to people who are dying and he you know he described that experience to, you know, to be a sitter for someone who's going through that transformational process as being like a loving rock. And I, I really like, I really like that. And I think there's a parallel between that and what it can be like to provide support to people during their psychedelic experiences and also during the integration of those experiences. It's funny that you, that he says it's um, like a loving rock because it almost brings me back to reading about the difference between guiding and sitting and how mm -hmm. a rock sits. A rock doesn't guide. A rock is really there to hold you down. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that we're lucky enough at Fireside Project to have several members of MAPS on our board and the, the folks at the Zendo have been so incredibly supportive of, of us. We're just so indebted to them. And one of the Zendo principles is sitting, not guiding. And we absolutely agree with that. That's what we'll be teaching our volunteers. I mean, who are we to guide? We don't have a destination in mind. How could we? I think part of what sitting, not guiding means is to allow that person to connect with their own inner healer and to empower themselves to figure out what the medicine is trying to teach them or or to take the Stan Groff quote, you know, psychedelics are to the mind, what the microscope is to biology and what the telescope is to astronomy. Well, what are we, what is coming up for us during this powerful psychedelic experience? And I think the best way for people to interact with that is not being guided, but to just be open to whatever is coming up for them. Absolutely. I think there's, for me at least, when I was looking through this application, I kept thinking so much about those those endo pillars. I thought they were really helpful even for prior experiences. Another thing I wanted to bring up was those pillars do a lot for the individual pre-experience because it kind of gives them insight that they might not know that they need until they Mm -hmm. And I think uh, psychedelic could be explained in so many different ways, but for me, it kind of always comes back to that. You don't know that you need it until you do, and you won't know what that moment is until it's there. Right. Um, Or maybe not until years later. (laughs) And I think um, another piece that I wanted to talk about is this support line is going to be for the experience itself and for post-experience integration. What made you and your team kind of decide that you wanted to focus on those two areas instead of the pre-experience and if someone calls in, kind of looking for that guidance, either looking for a reagent kit or information on set and setting, is Mm. it 36 hours training to kind of connect callers and kind of give them resources or would that be directly by the triage? If someone called in and said, I'm just looking to to know where I should buy a reagent kit. I think the triage volunteer would probably just say like dance safe. And then we we will probably have like a link on our, our website for that. I think that on the question of why will we not be providing support to people before psychedelic experiences, it's because we want to be very careful of the restriction on encouraging illegal activity. I think that there is a way to provide pre-trip you know, advice without running afoul of that, but I also don't want to come anywhere close to that, to that line. If someone called in and said, is there a book that's been written that you think I should maybe look at about how to prepare for a trip? I think, you know, we already have, for example, like the manual of psychedelic support, a link to that on our website. So I think referring people to books that have already been written is something that we could do probably that our triage volunteer would do. But if someone calls up and says like, can you kind of walk me through everything I should do to prepare for this trip? I think we would refer people to resources rather than do that ourselves. It's not that we don't think that providing advice and insight before a trip matters because certainly setting an intention before a trip can be, is such an important way of preparing. I think we just don't want to come anywhere even remotely close to that restriction on, you know, providing encouragement to engage in illegal activity. 
we will do our very best to train our volunteers about like what are the limits on what we do. Volunteers will have to, you know, sign something saying like I I promise that I will not be encouraging people to engage in illegal activity. If someone calls in beforehand, refer them to resources, but but don't give advice on those topics. It's just it was when we were kind of conceptualizing what this would look like. We thought very deeply about that question of what is the role that we can play and what are the risks potentially of providing pre-trip advice. And we just thought that the safest course was to not provide pre-trip advice. Yes, there are certainly different resources out there to help connect people that are interested in learning more about the pre-trip experience um, and to focus more on the callers coming in that, that are actually looking for help on the hotline that could really help with the amount of calls that are even coming in and the traffic for the triage. On another note, who you are as a volunteer is really beyond your application because there's something to be said of what you may have had in common with a caller. Their identity, be it their gender, their sexuality, religion, race, they all play into characterizing an identity. The experiences you have create a skill set that will make you a better volunteer on a line with a caller that might have shared or similar characteristics of their social background or identity. And this really kind of makes peer-based support what it is. The shared familiarized experiences between two people where they can find that common ground and support one another. How does Fireside plan on emphasizing the concept of peer peer-based support with the psychedelic hotline. Like, do you think that there's going to be an effort to connect callers to certain peer support volunteers based on the credentials that the peer support volunteer has? Do you think that the who gets connected to what phone call will also be based on experiences or identity? Yes, absolutely. We think it's so important that to, to empower callers and clients with, with, with choice about what type of person they might want to process with. So for example, you know, I, I can imagine, you know, a trans person feeling more comfortable processing with a trans, you know, volunteer. I could imagine that, you know, a BIPOC person would prefer to have a BIPOC volunteer. And we, it, it, again, and so we think that that we want to try to facilitate those connections in the in our first year, which is our pilot program. That might be a little bit more challenging, as we're still sort of working out our protocols and as the number of volunteers that we have, you know, will will be lower uh, than it will be kind of in the longer term. But that is absolutely our goal. I mean, we would love it if you know, from the moment someone reached out to us, if they had a preference, if the caller had a preference about what type of volunteer they'd like to be connected with, to do everything we could to honor that preference. I think it will be more challenging to do that in, in the case of a crisis call, because you know, there's only so many volunteers working at a time and it may be hard depending on the type of identity that the volunteer has and would like, or that the client has and the type of identity they would like the volunteer to have. But we, we are actively thinking about like, what are the best ways that we can make this happen? So I think if a person called in even during the pilot year and said as a 
gender fluid Jewish person, I would really prefer to process my psychedelic experience with another person who identifies as gender fluid. Even if there wasn't a volunteer with that attribute working on that shift, I think we would offer to find such a volunteer and then connect them or have them call back the client at another time. And and I think the longer that the line is in existence, the more flexibility we can have. Ideally, maybe we could have volunteers who maybe they're not like on shift, but they're just available to speak to clients who are seeking, you know, a gender fluid person, for example. Absolutely. I feel like that's definitely one of the benefits of doing an integration side of the calling and experiences that you have a little bit more flexibility, undoubtedly, because you're not really pushed for in a crisis phone call. And on the other side, you're kind of in that very moment is when you really need the help. And that is kind of decreases the chances of being able to necessarily be connected with someone that you might ideally want to be connected with. Exactly. And, you know, but that said, if there happened to be a volunteer on shift during a crisis call and the, the client was seeking a, a volunteer with a particular attribute, and again, that volunteer happened to be working, then we would do our best to connect them. But yeah, I think you're, I think what you're asking is so, it's so important, I think, to, to empower people with the choice, just like, just as you may want to have a choice about what type of therapist you have, you may also have a, you may also have a preference about what type of peer support volunteer you're connected with. I guess maybe a month ago, one of the posts from the Glow Fireside, which is the at for the Twitter for anyone listening that's interested in following, it's at Glow Fireside. It it was uh, who heals the healer, mm-hmm. and I actually had to sit and think about that for for a good while because I think there was there were two parts for it for me where who heals the healer could be speaking to the the therapist that might want to undergo a psychedelic experience and have the support where they know they can call just in case something comes up and they want to speak about it with someone. And on the flip side, the the volunteers themselves and what they might be experiencing in a mm. difficult experience. And I know that we will be meeting up weekly, I, I believe, right, with our, our team and to be able to talk about our experiences that we had that might have been troubling. What plans do you think Fireside has outside of the people that they recruit for the volunteers to work on maybe assisting them in integrating or digesting the experiences that they have in their time volunteering? That is such a beautiful question. I'm really happy that you asked it. We are spending a ton of time thinking about how to create a volunteer community and how to support volunteers in their process. For for people listening, you know, providing peer support to someone having a psychedelic experience or integrating can be so beautiful. It can also be so incredibly exhausting and draining. And coming out of that experience, coming off of a shift, for example, and just hanging up the phone and then being alone in your apartment, it's horrifying to think about, frankly. And so we want to create as many opportunities as possible for for volunteers to connect with each other and to connect with supervisors and feel like they are part of a community. So we're doing that in a a few different ways. One is, as you mentioned, there will be weekly Zoom calls between volunteers and and on-call supervisors. So volunteers can share about experiences that they had and 
receive support from each other and from their supervisors. Volunteers could request one-on-one communications with their supervisors. In addition, we're probably going to have a Discord or probably a Discord community where all volunteers can be a part be a part of it and communicate with each other through Discord at any time. We are also thinking about, you know, having ongoing kind of education offerings where, you know, we'll bring in either outside experts or people from within Fireside to talk about different topics. And I think that's another way of just like seeing the faces of other volunteers and learning and learning together. We're going to create opportunities for volunteers, almost like a whiteboard where if one volunteer just wanted to talk with another by phone, facilitating opportunities for those types of one-on-one communications between volunteers. We, we want volunteers to know that we really, really appreciate them. And so we're hoping to connect with certain companies that are maybe willing to donate certain products, whether it's soaps or any kind of product that would help with healing. That would be amazing. We, we have someone who reached out to us and who offered to, to, to offered free online yoga courses for volunteers. We would like to expand that to other offerings as well. Maybe that could be meditation, et cetera. I think post post-COVID, we would like to try to develop relationships maybe with like massage therapists or flotation tank providers who could maybe make in-kind donations to our volunteers. So that's a long rambling way of saying that we're trying to like think about the, uh, about supporting our volunteers in as many ways as possible and letting them know that we just, we, we know it's really challenging to provide this type of support and we want them to feel like they're part of a part of a community, not just while they're working at Fireside, but then down the road too. Absolutely. Bringing up, I guess, even the name itself. I was there for the call when we explained it, but for everyone else too, and I'd love to hear the story again. Why Fireside? Mm. Thank you for asking that question. And it's like, I've been asked that question. I think about it all the time. At one level, right? If you think about how you feel when you're but beside the fire, you feel connective, you feel open, you feel warm, you feel like you're part of a community. And so that's exactly how we want people to feel when they're reaching out to us and when they're interacting with us. That's how we hope our volunteers feel when they're interacting with each other. I think at another level, as long as people have been people, we've been gathering beside the fire for so many reasons, to play music, to share stories, to share meals. And so I think the Fireside Project is about sort of connecting with that history. Also, I mean, in so many cultures where where psychedelics are a foundational part of those cultures, psychedelics are really like community medicines. These are experiences you have with the community and integrate with the community. And our, our hope is to kind of create that sort of community for people so they can feel part of a psychedelic community. I think at even a deeper level still, for me, this Fireside Project is about is about the transition from loneliness to connection. You know, I think that I think that like I think part of our birthright as humans is to feel like we are part of a community and we all we are all interconnected. It's just that sometimes we can we can allow ourselves to feel disconnected from our community. And so I think Fireside Project at a deep level is about, you know, welcoming people, welcoming people back into a community and and so that no one ever has to feel alone. 
Absolutely. And I think I loved hearing that again, to be totally honest. I think there was a feeling to that too, hearing that it was a glow fireside. I thought the the sensation, I guess, that came to mind when I hear glow was not just warmth, but it was also light. And mm. that feeling was something that connected me even more as I was going through the application. I felt like it was something that you'd you look for when you're kind of in the dark and you're spiraling or as described earlier, it was looping and you're kind of just looking for something to hold on to a rock, mm-hmm. a piece of light, something like of that sort. So I think the title, the name itself is incredible, but I think um, following up with that and the sense of community that you're looking for, was there ever, apart from Ram Dass and Groff, as we mentioned earlier, was there a, ever a book or a person that you attribute a significant amount maybe of your investment into this field or interest in this field today? Mm. It's so hard to say apart from Ram Dass because <laughs> I think the first book that I read at the start of my kind of like spiritual transformation many years ago was Be Here Now. And actually my first tattoo on my inner arm is Be Here Now. So Ram Dass has just been like foundational and I'm also a huge fan of, of so many of Aldous Huxley's books. Um, I love Doors of Perception. It just, I, I can't possibly read that book enough. I also love The Perennial Philosophy by Aldous Huxley, which is just, it's like this beautiful nonfiction book about how, like, if you read the mystic, the texts of mystics across the ages, and they're having these beautiful mystical experiences, they're all sort of they're all describing the same thing. I think that's so beautiful. I also love his last uh, fiction book, The Island, um, which is about sort of his almost like utopian society where at different points in people's lives, they kind of go up the mountain to the temple and have moksha medicine, which is um, like a powerful mushroom. And so I love that vision that he has for what an ideal society can look like. The other book I would mention is this book called The Meditations of Meister Eckhart. He was a 13th century Christian mystic. And Aldous Huxley kind of alludes to him, I think, a few times in Doors of Perception. And it's about, it's about, he has this beautiful poem about isness. And like God is isness. Isness is, I don't know, if you have that feeling when you're tripping and you look at a tree and you feel like you're seeing, you're seeing the tree and only the tree. Uh, for me, that like the isness of the tree is just so beautiful. And so Meister Eckhart writes so beautifully about how godness is isness. And I, I love that. Wow. It's so interesting to hear someone else talk about that. that I had I found that book to be like very, very moving as well. And I found it so interesting as I was coming into my background in science, I guess, uh, learning more about the responsibility of the DMN and what roles we're learning that it plays in activity, especially with psychedelics and this momentariness of experiencing the tree. It's that your amygdala is firing off as if you're seeing a tree for the first time. Truly, it's in that type of feeling as, as we're both smiling and, and giddy about it now. It, it under, it's understandable that you, we need a, a line like this, a project like this, because as beautiful as it is to see something for the first time and not be grounded in the confirmation bias that you've embedded yourself in your concept, in your preconceived notions in your entire life for this 12 hour experience, it also can come with these this this scared feeling, this absence of yourself or what you knew in the past of being a tree and seeing this for the first time, it can be kind of horrifying. And this project is here to kind of ground the the person experiencing it in the experience itself, which also was a huge pillar for Zendo projects with that. It's not, it's not a bad trip. It's a difficult trip. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. Oftentimes when we're having difficulties, it's, it's, it's our subconscious is, is really presenting something to us, a part of ourselves that maybe we didn't want to look at or we felt was unworthy or unlovable. And so to be able to, like that is, it can be terrifying. And then it is also the most beautiful opportunity potentially to, to see, to, to understand your own inner processes and, and hopefully to fall in love with every single part of yourself, which I think is really I think, I think at least for myself, that's, that's foundational on the pathway of healing. Absolutely. And uh, in terms of what we're doing here at Psychedelic Grad, a lot of the work that we're interested in is kind of opening the doors or trying to see what keys open the gates to these doors within the psychedelic field that seem a little bit challenging, not a little bit, very challenging for the people coming in for the first time or just coming in to explore the field or interested in what may, what 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 space they could take up next. Mm. You came in from a background in law. You had these experiences a decade ago that were <clears throat> foundational for your interest in eventually being invested in the psychedelic field and you wanted to dedicate yourself to something and you ended up finding this beautiful space in the field, this gap that you're hoping that Fireside Project fills. Did you imagine that this would be what space you would have ended up taking up uh, a decade ago? No, I I cannot possibly have ever imagined um, that I <laughs> that I would be here that psychedelics would have become my profession. I mean, I remember I remember about ten years ago, I was having dinner with some friends, and the question came up: Well, if you could have dinner with any living person, who would it be? And my answer was like, well, Rick Doblin, of course. And then, you know, fast forward 10 years and, you know, Rick Doblin uh, was on a launch panel with me to start Fireside Project. And so I, I am, I feel like I am just truly the luckiest person in the world. I also think that like we are at such an exciting time in the psychedelic movement where the, the movement is like exploding in so many ways, you know, not just on the science side of things, not just on the regulatory and regulatory side of things, but just in every single way. And so I think there's so much of an opportunity for everyone to, to really like co-envision what you want the psychedelic movement to look like. And we are literally just creating from scratch this wave of the psychedelic movement. And so there's so much opportunity for creativity, whatever your interest is. If you're an artist, if you're a musician, if you're an aspiring neuroscientist, there's just so much that hasn't been done in this field yet. And, and so I think the opportunities for like really understanding how you want to how, how you want to give to the movement and then figuring out the best way to give. And let's say just now when you were referencing the you, and I know the you is probably the people on this podcast that are younger and probably finding their footing in this field. But let's say for the next minute that that you that you were just talking about was was actually you 10, 15 years ago. Mm. What advice, if if any, do you think you would have given them? Mm. I, you know, I think, I think that I love the Joseph, I love the Joseph Campbell, you know, follow your bliss. I think it's a process of, of going with inside of yourself and figuring out like what, what makes you feel most alive and, and then sort of seeing how that overlays with what are the, what's available and what might you want to create 
in in the psychedelic movement. I think like volunteer, you know, I think volunteering and just getting your foot in the door somewhere, you know, volunteering at the Zendo or other, you know, psychedelic peer support, creating, creating, creating an organization from scratch. I mean, years ago, I'm kind of a psychedelic research nerd. And a friend of mine and I started this thing called Psychedelic Passage, where we just like talked about a different peer-reviewed psychedelic research article every few weeks. And, and so that was a really cool way to learn about psychedelic research. And it was also a way that like, if we were then wanting to do something else in psychedelics, we could point to the fact that we started, you know, a psychedelic, a psychedelic passage. And I just think the more you can, the more you can get involved and try different things, whether it's like with SSDP, I know they're on so many campuses, there's the intercollegiate psychedelic network, they're in so many different places. So I think like join organizations, see what you like, start your own organizations and and just go towards what makes you feel most alive. Wow. Well said. We're coming into, I guess, the end of this wonderful podcast, wonderful interview. One closing element of this project that I wanted to cover with you is let's say someone can't devote a year Right, right now, because we know eventually there'll be a second wave for more volunteers. But if they know that they can't really commit to that, what ways would you recommend if they if they wanted to be involved in some way with Fireside? How would yeah, you? That's a great question. I think that we, you know, we are going to have a bunch of different opportunities to become to to, to engage with us. We are going to be starting a Fireside Ambassador Program whose focus is going to be help on helping us get the word out about the line. As I think I said, you know, our hope is that, you know, people become aware of us before they're tripping. And so Fireside Ambassadors are going to have the task of really reaching out to so many different types of organizations, psychedelic organizations, you know, maybe emergency rooms, college campuses, all sorts of groups to let them know that we exist. So that could become, that could be a really interesting way of working with us we're going to be starting a fireside membership program in the next um, few days where we'll, we're, I mean, you, you kind of give a certain amount per month and then, you, and then we'll have monthly zoom calls where you can hear about what's going on. We're probably going to be doing an initiative pretty soon that will encourage people to put 1833 to fireside, which is our phone number into their phones. And so we're going to be inviting people to provide testimony, like get yeah, testimonials of times they could have used fireside. Mm-hmm. So that's something um, we're probably going to be doing a gala in the fall. So, you know, there'll be opportunities to volunteer with that. I think there's a lot of questions around what form that gala will take given the pandemic. But I think the final thing is just like, if you have some way that you would like to contribute, just just send us an email, info at firesideproject.org. And there are just so many things that like we haven't even thought of that folks might actually be able to contribute. To give you one example, I had this guy reach out to me and he said, oh, does Fireside Project accept donations by crypto? And, and I said, no. And he said, well, do you want me to figure out what the best way is for you to accept donations by crypto? And I said, sure. And then he literally put together a PowerPoint presentation about the best opportunities for nonprofits to get crypto donations. And now, thanks to him, Jameson, if you're listening, we Fireside Project is about to be able to accept crypto, um, or we can accept crypto actually. Maybe. So I think like if you have ideas about ways that you want to contribute, then let us know, even if we haven't thought of them yet, even if they're not on our website. And uh, there's this one thing that I guess is more personal. So a little bit outside of the 
application process itself or what type of applicant you're looking for. But something that I've looked for when I was starting to put together what I would ideally want from an app, let's say, for the psychedelic experience and something that I thought would be extremely returning for the, the science community, I guess, is the, the surveys and how, for instance, the Center of um, Psychedelic Consciousness and Research for me has always been like my first go-to when I'm trying to look into what's going on with the surveys or looking up with happening with uh, Carhartt-Harris and seeing what's what's out right now that I can fill out or that I can post on my feeds that I can hope other people can fill out. But a big shortcoming is trying to get surveys for a week later, two weeks later, a month later, four months later. It, they're not necessarily taken account of if the person doesn't go through that entire process that the research community can actually understand what the degree of the mystical experience was and how much it affected and how long it affected the individual for it. That was very long, but do you think that surveys might be something in the future that Fireside would be interested in trying to promote for people that call in so that it could actually help the return of the people on the side of the research field looking to connect with the recreational users? I love that question so much. Thank you for asking, Emma. And the question is, hell yes. So I'll tell you another part of another part of Fireside that I'm so excited about. I mean, I'm excited about all parts of it. But one side, one side of it is, you know, the potential to learn from the experiences of our community members and figure out what are the lessons, what are the lessons that we can draw, and then how can we provide those lessons back to the community so that people can make the most of their psychedelic experiences. And so, yes, part of that could be by surveys. And so, in fact, two of the members of the Fireside Project core team. Kenneth Yonk and Nikolai Lawson co-founded Psychedelic Survey with Robin Carhart-Harris. Emma's, Emma's like super excited. Yes. So, so actually, when I was sort of envisioning Fireside, I thought, man, there's a serious potential here for, you know, to support researchers, including Robin Carhart-Harris specifically, who I love. Um, and so I reached out, <laughs> yes, I reached out to Kenneth and Nikolai by LinkedIn. I bought LinkedIn Premium just so that I could reach out to message Kenneth and Nikolai. I did cold message them and said, hey, you started Psychedelic Survey. I've got this idea here where maybe, you know, we could actually like provide surveys to people after calls with us, or maybe there's a data collection angle here that we could do, you know, again, with, with consent and all of these other things. But so that is something we're actively looking into. I mean, on our board, we have a professor from Yale, we have uh, two professors from UCSF. And so thinking about like going through a university's IRB process and like part and collaborating on studies would be just, I mean, it would be super interesting. And then at a personal level, it would just be a total dream um, for me. <laughs> I feel like there's a, there's a big gap to fill. This is going to be an incredible big first step, but there's definitely a lot more work to be done to connect the recreational users to the science itself and how much we're kind of losing out on the information and the data we can actually aggregate from the, sub the subjectivity of experience. Mm -hmm. Having the phone calls themselves will already make people feel more comfortable with the idea of sharing the experience and the yeah. integration and how much return there can be on that. Absolutely. And, and like, you know, I think um, the team at Imperial College just came out with a paper talking about, you know, in the psychedelic survey context, you know, there's this attrition problem, like no one wants to keep going back and filling out these gargantuan surveys and gargantuan, sometimes these very detailed surveys, 
And so people kind of drop off and that impacts impacts you know, the conclusions you can draw from your study. Well, I thought to myself, well, geez, if people are actually receiving integration calls weekly from us, maybe that is a way to address that 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 problem of attrition. So I I I'm all about you know the research dimension and of course doing it in a way that you know respects everyone's privacy and preserves uh, the trust that we hope that people will place in us. And I guess talking about what the what the 2.0 fireside project could look like using these surveys, my my question, I guess it's five years from now, where would you like to be and where would you like Fireside Project to be? Oh, great question. So there, there are different parts to that uh, answer. I think that I would like for us to be to be expanding to multiple countries. My hope is that eventually most, if not all countries in the world will be able to, to have Fireside available to them. We would love to be able to provide support in multiple languages as well. So that's something that we're considering too. And then I think also, you know, going deeper into, you know, this, this, this research dimension, are there ways that we can support, support researchers and provide them with like the data that they need to really like go deeper and learn more about the psychedelic experience so that then we can continue to kind of tap into the limitless potential of these medicines. And another piece of this, there's so many pieces of this, but another piece of this is, you know, the Fireside Equity Fund. And so part of our core mission, you know, is to help try to create a more uh, diverse and inclusive psychedelic movement. And so we're going to be doing that in, you know, in, in multiple different ways, right? It's through, you know, the volunteers we recruit and the people that we hire. It's through the outreach that, you know, that we do to different parts of the community. But we're also going to be launching this thing called the Fireside Equity Fund, which will basically be like a scholarship fund for our volunteers who who complete their one-year commitment. And our hope is to help, you know, help volunteers with diverse backgrounds pay for some sort of school related to psychedelics. So that could be for their, you know, a master's program. It could be, you know, massage or Reiki, like as long as there's a connection to psychedelics. Again, we, you know, Fundraising is always the big question, but I think that like we could, our hope is to become a pipeline for volunteers, not just to enter into the psychedelic community generally, but also for all parts of the community, especially people uh, that come from groups that have been systematically excluded from the psychedelic movement in the past. So become a pipeline for people from those parts of the community to enter fields of psychedelic healing. Wow. That was actually one of my last questions, and you really hit on it. I think that's incredible. There is this problem that we have in so many fields. It's being gatekept because it's so how to get into the field itself, but it's also the accessibility to the therapy. I thought that with this phone call, being free was something that is huge, but also giving access to people who are invested to help others to kind of give them that type of assistance for later education purposes has a, has a great return. Like you said, you were looking to find ways to not only make sure that people that are the volunteers feel like they're in a community like Fireside and not just offer the massages or the soaps, but to, to really show that this is a field that needs change and that you're you're genuinely hoping that this organization is part of that stride towards opening these doors that have been historically exclusive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and all of that, and then also just destigmatizing psychedelics, like, you know, I think a big part of this is like coming out of the psychedelic closet, right? Like I was in the psychedelic closet for many years and then I 
started this to help start this organization and and now I'm a person in the psychedelic movement. And so I think a big part of what we're going to be doing too is to really help legitimize the psychedelic movement and legitimize working in the psychedelic movement. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited to have my application reviewed. I'm excited for everyone else on this recording who ends up going through the first cycle of applications and for everyone who's listening and interested for future applications as a volunteer or as an ambassador or any later potential volunteer experience that they can have with the project but is there anything else you'd like to touch up on before we close off anything um, that might have missed off on on this hour call um well i you know i would like to obviously like thank everyone for for listening and you know we have been so incredibly bowled over by the number of applicants and the number of people who have just like poured their heart and soul into our applications and you know if you're not chosen to be in this like first cohort that is not a reflection of how amazing we think you are nor is it a reflection of whether we want you to kind of be part of this community there'll be so many opportunities to be involved in Fireside down the road. And we're so excited to build this community and to hear from folks like what sort of community they want built. And so if you have ideas, please reach out to us at info at Fireside. All of those emails come to me or my team and we take every email that we get like very, very seriously and really want to incorporate everyone's ideas so that this can be the most like diverse and healing community that it possibly can be. Well, I think I speak for everyone listening when I say thank you so much for joining me. This was an incredible experience. Everyone, thank you for listening. Thank you, Emma. That was amazing. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Okay. Great job. My God, that was so good.